Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. So I don't know how many of you watching might have participated in uh, a 24-hour event, whatever that looks like. Uh, Those events, maybe you've done it as a fundraiser, maybe you've done it as a a fun activity. You know, remember those all-night sleepovers, maybe in youth group, or maybe you're looking forward to one, you haven't done one yet, and you want to do that all-night sleepover because that's the pinnacle of youth group, that's the pinnacle of going to youth group to be able to run right uh, somewhere for 24 hours, uh, be locked in somewhere with a group of your friends. Uh, Maybe you've done the 24-hour relay for life. And, you know, you, you're all excited and you're passionate about it. You, you really want to do that with your group of friends. Or maybe it's been a, a fundraising for um, uh, a particular event or cause that's close to your heart. It's around a walk or a bike ride. Or perhaps you've done the human-powered vehicle as well. I know some of you have done the human-powered vehicle where you go and you work with your team and you cycle or manoeuvre this machine for 24 hours to see how many laps you can complete. 24 hours and you think, yeah, that's not a long time, enough people around, a couple of hours each time or half an hour, we can chop and change, we can take snacks, we take our blankets, we get all excited, there's a whole lot of energy that goes into it to start with. There's a high set of a high level of uh, expectation of just spending that time with your friends or being encouraged. Uh, But the struggle though the struggle always comes. Or maybe you're, maybe you're a bit tougher than me, but I know the struggle has always come. And it always comes in the hours just before dawn. You know, you can last through till midnight, but once you start thinking about one o'clock, you start looking at your watch thinking, oh, how much longer have we got to go? And it gets to two o'clock and you think, really, it's, that's all that's gone? And at three o'clock, the energy's faded, your friends are dropping out and maybe you've done a double shift. Maybe you've done more than what you think you would do. Maybe other people have gone home because they're not as tough as you are. And you're thinking, how much longer to go? I've felt this particularly when I've done 24-hour prayer gatherings. I know we've done 24-hour prayer gatherings as a church. Yeah, all excited, you gather and there's prayer and people are praying out loud. They're connecting and bouncing off each other. And there's times where I've gone, we did one in January, and it was one of the coldest nights in January I think I've experienced in Horsham. And as much as I tried, I have to admit, I think I still fell asleep numerous times. You kind of start dropping off like this. (laughs) Pray, pray, pray. Um, The hours just before dawn is the hard work. You would all be laughing at that if you're in this room, I'm sure, because it's just so funny in here. Um, But look... All that to say, the darkness can feel overwhelming, can't it? Even though you know what you want to do, even though you know the objective, you know why you want to do it, the darkness, that long few hours before the dawn, can seem overwhelming. We get closer to the end, our bodies are worn out. Will we get there? Will we make it? Um, And it's just hard. Look, the reality is, you know what? We all go through the grind. We all go through life at times, and it's just a grind. I've been talking to a number of people lately, and 
you know, we just feel like it's really hard going. It's a slog. It's hard jacking. You know, we want the, we keep looking for the mountaintop experiences. And the mountaintop experiences, if we were to be honest, are pretty rare. We spend a lot of time somewhere in between the valley and the mountaintop or in the valley. Um, the mountaintop experiences are pretty rare. And especially when you're thinking about enduring it through the night. This is true in our schooling. You know, you might be passionate about a subject until the assignment comes, until you've got to prepare for the exams. You're thinking, why did I choose this? What is that about? Uh, maybe we're passionate um, about the job that we have until the pressure starts to become overwhelming, until that person that's annoying just won't let up. And it doesn't matter what we do, nothing changes. It's a grind. We like school until someone, something, or the teacher, we don't like the teacher, or we feel like the teacher doesn't like us. It can be a grind. What about at home? You know, we love our families. We love, most of us are fortunate enough to love being around our families. I know some of you will probably find families being a struggle. We know being in a family is a grind. We thought this was a good thing to be a part of. We want it to be a good thing of part of, but it just seems so hard all the time. We thought we were coming out of lockdowns and here we are again, the grind. So here's my questions to us. What sustains us in the grind? And in the grind, in the midst of the hard yakkers that have to be done, remembering that we know where we want to end up, we know why we chose, we know we just have to keep going, we know there might even be a destination, what has our heart when it's hard, when it's just really tough to be navigating and making your way through? See, it's easier to answer when life is going how we imagined. It's more difficult to remember when we are struggling, when we see others change direction or when things aren't as smooth as we hoped or when others seem to make it more difficult than we imagined or thought it would be. Our vision gets blurry, our motivation is low and our hearts are distracted what sustains us in that moment? So here's the text for you. Mark chapter 6, verse 45, reads this. Immediately, so remember, immediately, it's just after Jesus had sent his disciples out. They'd come back to him. He took them away for rest. The crowd saw Jesus. They chased after him. He had compassion on them because they'd been following him. It was late at night. They had nothing to eat. He said to his disciples, you give them something to eat. We've got nothing. They found a bit of bread and some fish. Jesus distributed. Everyone is full again. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to meet them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. 
And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into towns, villages or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about the last few verses here. We've heard this story before. You know, Jesus arrives, the crowds gather, the crowds hear about him, healings all over the place, touching the edge of his cloak. That's a familiar story if we've been following along the Gospel of Mark, uh, even in these few chapters. We've seen this time and time again, except I want you to pay attention to just a few words um, in verse 53. Is it that? 54, sorry. Had to find it again. Uh, People recognised Jesus. As soon as they landed, they got out of the boat, people recognised Jesus. Keep that in mind. Just keep that in the back of your mind as we press on here. Because I'm not going to say too much about those last few verses. We've seen the healings take place. Now here's, here's what we see unfold. Jesus gives his disciples another task. He gives them another destination. If you like, this reminds me a little bit about when he sends them out two by two. You know, go into the villages, proclaim the good news, heal the sick, cast out evil, cast out the demons, and they come back excited. They proclaim the kingdom of God. People repented. They realigned themselves with the heart of God. They discovered the heart of God. They discovered who they were in God. They saw enormous things take place. And Jesus again sends them out, sends them ahead of him. Remembering he gave them a specific destination. You are to go to Bethsaida. You're on your way to the next point of contact. You're on your way to the next mission. You're moving there. I also wonder if the disciples got in, got in the boat, and as they got in the boat, they were, um, what's going to happen here? You know, I've got a bit of a feeling, got a bit of an inkling. This might be one of those days the disciples would have been singing. It's a Lena and Woodley reference for anyone who's interested. All six of you who got it. Um, but look, here's, here's also what I wonder. <laughs> I'm just going crazy on camera. It's just wild. Um, here's what I wonder. This might actually be two models of rest that Jesus establishes. Firstly, sometimes it is good to go and do something easy and something that we are familiar with. He gives the disciples a task. He puts them in a boat. They are familiar with the boat. I, look, I wonder if they might have been nervous, if they might have just thought, mm, we've done this before and it didn't go that well. What's Jesus got in store this time? What's going to happen? But at the same time, I wonder if they got in the boat and they went, Oh, thank goodness. I know what to do here. I know what to do here. If many of you who've been watching and listening to me for a long time know that I'm not much of a gardener, I'm not a fan of gardening, I don't like the energy it takes, except, you know, when I go out, if I've had a rough week or I'm not feeling great about myself, sometimes just to go out and mow the grass, tick. I've accomplished something. I've done something that was easy and I knew what to do and I was familiar with. I can't help but wonder if sometimes Jesus sends us back into something that's familiar. I think it can be dangerous too, incidentally. I think there's a flip side to that. 
um, which we'll get to. But I can't help but wonder if in this mode, Jesus sets up a couple of uh, models of rest and reflection for us. The first one is, sometimes it's good to go and do what is familiar. And that might be a good opportunity for us over these next few days. What is it that is familiar? What is it that's easy? What is it that can help us find that sense of groove or rhythm or just in this time and space. I, look, I've, I know I've said that before over the last 12 to 18 months. I know we've said that. But it's a good pattern. It's a good understanding of a rhythm. If things aren't going according to plan, if we're finding life a grind, what's something we can tick off that just says, oh, that was good to do. That was good to do. That fed my soul. That fed my spirit. For the disciples, I suspect Jesus said, lads, just get in the boat. Go and have a row. I think that would have been quite refreshing for this group. The other mode, the other model that Jesus sets up for us in this, the other model of rest, which is something we talked about last week, incidentally, as well, is that Jesus actually separates himself from the disciples, even though he was spending life with them, he was doing life with them, he was uh, eating and drinking and teaching them. Even Jesus recognised that he needed time away. And time, not like a long extended period of time, I've had enough these drongos, like it was time to refresh his spirit. It was time to renew his soul. It was time to restore his body and restore his body, his mind, his spirit in relationship with his father. We don't know what he did, but it was an obvious movement, an obvious disconnection from whatever was happening and had happened in the previous Five, six, 24 hours, however long it might have been. We don't really have any idea. This is one of the great challenges that I think we have in our society, in our community. And I don't care what age you are, this is not a young generation person's. What does it look like for us to, from, to disconnect every now and then from devices, TVs, switching off all the music, turning off the lights, turning down the lights, and just sitting in silence. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people and I say, when was the last time you sit in silence? Could you do it for five minutes? Not too many people actually can. Try it. Set a timer. Five minutes. So you don't have to think about the time. That's one less thing you have to think about. Sit in silence and sit in solitude. So there's things to do here. There's rest. Some of it might be familiar. Some of it might be an opportunity to disconnect. I don't think it's always about structure or time, but it is an opportunity. It is an opportunity to deepen our relationship and restore our spirits. But here's the flip side, I guess. Which work would you prefer? Would you prefer the work of disconnecting and going away and being with the Father? Or would you prefer the work of doing the familiar? Sometimes we need to know and discern the difference. Because I know that when we say... Let's have a prayer gathering. It's really hard to navigate that because we've got so much other work to do, because we get so caught up in the familiar. So there is a flip side. And I don't say that to condemn or judge, just to recognise the reality of the challenge that we face as a community, as a society, as families, the challenges that I face. What does it look like for me to disconnect from what might be familiar at times and just be with the Father, just to wait on Him? There are other times where the familiar feeds and nourishes my soul as well, but also to know and to discern when it's important to spend time with the Father and when it's important to simply go back 
and do what I know and is familiar with. It is the nature, I think, of rhythms that Jesus highlights here. There is a movement. There is a rhythm. Sometimes it's good to be with the familiar, to what we know, to refresh our spirits. And other times it's knowing we just need to disconnect and to be in the presence of our Father. But I guess the other thing is when we get to it, and I hope I'm not confusing it too much for you, but when we get to it, sometimes going to the familiar can be the grind, isn't it? The disciples going to the familiar, beauty, we know the boat, we know what we have to do, but even as they row, they were rowing against the wind. Um, And what fascinates me about this is that we can row against the wind even with the things that we're familiar with and we find this really hard. And in finding, um, finding it really hard to do what is familiar, we lose sight of Jesus. We fail to recognise his presence and we fail to recognise his provision. So in our familiar spaces, do we recognise the presence and the provision of our Father? Or do we just get caught up in the grind of rowing against the wind? So it was the fourth fourth watch of the night, we're told in verses 48 to 50. Uh, So that's about 3 to 6 a.m. You know that moment just before dawn? How much longer? Um, This is the fourth watch of the night, um, 48 to 50 that we're told uh, shortly before dawn. Jesus was walking on the lake, which in itself is mind-blowing. Most scriptures will title this uh, passage, Jesus Walks on Water. That's, that's just that's a side issue, Jesus walking on the water. This is about Jesus demonstrating his power. It's about Jesus demonstrating his authority. But what blows me away as I read this text is the disciples don't recognize Jesus. How disappointed would Jesus be in that moment? I had an image of this. Of, you know when you go down the street and you're driving along and you recognize someone in the car? Maybe you don't. Many of you don't because you don't see me driving and wave to me when I wave to you. That's what it's like. You don't recognize. How can you not recognize me? I've been around this place for 20 years. Surely you can recognize me. But we don't because we're so focused. We're so uh, attentive to what we want to do and where we want to go that we often miss those things. But these disciples have been living with Jesus, eating with Jesus, focused on Jesus. Who else is going to come walking on the water to them, honestly? And they don't recognize him. And friends, there is so much that we do in our lives, so much that we've become so accustomed to, so familiar with. We stop recognizing the presence and the provision of Jesus. We get so accustomed to the everyday aspects of our lives. We get so accustomed to keeping our routines. We get so accustomed to building our own kind of kingdoms, for want of a better word, our own way of life, establishing ourselves, getting ourselves ahead, accomplishing. We miss out on the presence, or we don't recognise the presence and the provision of Jesus. And I guess we can look at this text and say, why is Jesus passing them by? He intends to pass them by. The Greek, many scholars would affirm and, and say that the Greek says he wished to pass them by. See, I think, I think Jesus is kind of highlighting here as, I've given you a task. I'll see you there. 
<laughs> You'll get there. I trust you. It's okay. You've got this. Remember how I sent you away two by two, preach the kingdom, heal the sick. You're able to do that. Surely you can row a boat. Jesus walks on water and they can't handle it. They can't handle it. They don't recognize the presence of Jesus. See, this story isn't about Jesus walking on the water as much as it's the disciples not recognizing him, which just blows me away. But I think this is the reality of a lot of us. In this day and age, in this time, in this season, in the challenges that we have faced, in the decisions and the, um, and the sense of what we're trying to accomplish and the important decisions that we're told that we have to make on social media, in our education, in our careers, in our incomes, in our superannuations, in our... We lose sight. We get so focused on rowing against the wind in the familiar things, the comfortable things. What once was rest and refreshment then becomes so familiar that we stop recognising the presence of Jesus. Or worse than that, we believe Jesus is simply watching from a distance or he intends to pass us by and we say, hey, hey. Now the reality is Jesus never forgets us. I don't know how God does that. I don't know how that's revealed in Jesus. I don't understand how the mind of God works, the spirit of God works to do that. But he doesn't. We forget that Jesus has promised that. We forget that God the Father has promised that. We forget that he's promised the Holy Spirit as the advocate, the counsel, the guide. We lose sight of that because we get so familiar. We get so accustomed to the way that we're doing it. We forget that Jesus is the one who sends us out to heal, to proclaim kingdom. He, we forget that he's the one who feeds thousands. We forget that he's the one who calms the ocean, the sea, the lake, the water, the wind, the waves. And I wonder what wind you might be rowing against at the moment. Is it some frustration, disappointment, angst about friendships or work or sense of not being where you hoped you would be at this stage of your life or this stage of the year, not having achieved or you thought that you would and you just feel like I'm just rowing against the wind. What does it look like? Do you feel like you're rowing against the wind in your family, in your workplace? Community lockdowns. This is why I thought this message would have been so powerful and still so relevant for us today. Community lockdown, statewide lockdowns feels like we're rowing against the wind, doesn't it? And I just want to remind us, friends, do not lose sight or forget the presence or the provision of Jesus. Now, how do we remember the provision and the presence of Jesus? Well, the thing that we can do is remember what he has done and how he's revealed himself in the past. And it might be something really simple. Remember how someone encouraged you. Remember how you encouraged someone else. Remember how you got that surprise that day. Remember how you heard the voice of God. Remember how he provided for you in unexpected ways and in unexpected circumstances. But having said that, don't restrict how God wants to do by our own limitations. See, we often restrict God by our past experiences, by our limitations, by what we think we are capable of or what we imagine God can do or won't do or has done or what we perceive he has done or has not done. 
It's often affected by our past experiences, which can feed us and nourish us, but it can also limit us. So to recognise the presence and the provision of Jesus in all of our ways, even when we are rowing against the wind. See, and I, I think it's why the author of this gospel, Peter, it's why he, has, he, it's, he writes this many, many years after uh, this experience. And I, and I can't help but wonder if he reflects back on that, that moment, and he writes in this moment, they didn't understand what happened with the loaves. They hadn't yet grasped the authority that Jesus had over all of creation. And the reality is, friends, you know, there are some days when I'm rowing against the wind and I forget the authority that Jesus carries. And then I forget the authority that he's placed within me to go and serve him, whether in familiar ways or in new ways. I forget the invitation to go and spend time with the Father because I'm so busy, so busy doing what I'm familiar with and accustomed to. To encounter the fullness of Jesus, we need to recognise the presence, the authority and the invitation of Jesus. We need to receive the provision of Jesus. Jesus, when he gets in the boat, in verse 50, uh, they all saw him and they were terrified. Immediately we're told Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. It is I. I wonder if that's connected to the Father saying throughout the course of history, I am. Who will I say is sending me? I am. I am with you. I am for you. I am calling you. I am inviting you. I am providing for you. I am guiding you. I am leading you. I am the one who comforts you. I am the one who restores you. I am the one who refreshes you, renews you. I am the one who breathes life into you. I am the one who gives you the capacity to be still in the midst of the waves. I am the one who can call the waves to stillness. It is I. Don't be afraid. I am enough. You can trust me. You can call out to me. I will provide for you. And I think the invitation is simple. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Father, we want to thank you for your love for us. We want to thank you for your revelation. We want to thank you for your presence and your provision. And we need that. Our world needs your presence and your provision. And we, we, we want to just call upon you and recognize that. We declare your presence and your provision in our own lives. In those places where we're familiar, may we not become so accustomed that we just get into a groove and into a rut that we don't recognize you. In those places where you recognize to and call us apart to disconnect and just to be with you and to be refreshed in you and not to be afraid, but to simply sit in your presence and know who you are and therefore know who we are in you. May we receive that too. Holy Spirit, come. 
speaking in the hearts and minds of our homes, wherever we might be watching this, whatever age we might be watching this, for our young in faith, for those who are disconnected and wondering if you're real, may you make yourself real. May you reveal yourself, Father, in this moment right now, Holy Spirit, in homes, in lounge rooms, in round dining tables, in bedrooms, in the people's lives who are saying, God isn't with me anymore. May you walk alongside them and step into their lives with them. Step into the boat with them, Father. And may they know that they don't need to be afraid. You are enough. You are enough. You have the full authority over the wind and the waves. You have the full authority over our lives. May we trust you to be present and to be the provider. And in this moment, friends, if you just want to make a prayer of invitation or even if you're just calling out to saying, God, I don't know if you're there, but I ask that you might reveal yourself to me. Show yourself so that I can see you. Holy Spirit, just speak into those hearts and minds, even as even how that prayer is coming across, even in desperation, through desperation or through faithful prayers, Father, that you would continue to reveal yourself. Speak your peace. Provide your comfort. Declare your presence. Minister your provision. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.